0: Hello and welcome back to Mission 2819, a podcast on discipleship. On today's episode, we're going to talk a little more in depth about the passage of 1 Timothy chapter 3. Now there's uh, some qualifications that Paul lays out uh, as he's writing to Timothy from Ephesus. So we're going to talk a little bit about this and the modern application in church leadership and what this all means. So I welcome you all back again to Mission 2819 and I look forward to spending some more time with you. So on the topic of church leadership, um, I think this is something that needs to be talked about more within the church body, Um, the qualifications, the characteristics, uh, what's all involved with being a leader or overseer in the church. And, you know, there's a lot of things that... um, with uh with this conversation that can lead to some heartburn or difference of opinion and it is i don't even know how to say it best um it can be a challenging subject right when we're talking about leadership um because everybody wants to do their best uh but everybody also has different ideas of how a leader should act but I think uh, the passage of First Timothy chapter three lays it out pretty clear of what we're supposed to be looking for as far as who should be an overseer or a leader within the church? And what are these qualifications and what do they what do they all mean? So if we go to and, and you can open up your Bible and you can read this passage as well as you're listening to this podcast. But I definitely encourage you to read the whole chapter, so 1 Timothy chapter 3. Um, But I want to give you a little bit about what, um, just kind of a brief overview, and then a little bit of historical context to what's really going on here. Um, Paul gives Timothy some instructions on how the church should function and operate, being that at the time in the first century Ephesus, Multiple issues and concerns regarding the church function and operation needed credible and godly people to take on the role of church leadership. And I think that's the same for today as well, uh, because we see a lot of the same issues in our modern culture as what Ephesus was going through. Now, many individuals uh, during these ancient times, just like today, claimed the characteristic of being a good person And wanting to be a good person and doing good things, but um, that's not necessarily the qualification for an overseer or a church leader, regardless what the position is. If it's uh, an associate pastor, a lead pastor, executive pastor, uh, worship leader, a deacon an elder, board member, just being a good person doesn't meet the requirements of what 1 Timothy 3 is laying out or what Paul is saying um, in this passage. So in order for the church to function correctly, we have to find people that are meeting these qualifications if they're desiring a position of leadership or overseer within the church, because this is, this is a noble position to desire And it's held to the highest standard because we're working with people um, from er every area of life, uh, regardless where they come from, and we have to maintain the character and reputation of Jesus. Otherwise, we end up trying to work in our own strength and power, and that just doesn't work. We have to rely on the Holy Spirit and what the Bible is telling us, right? So this is a critical and crucial passage in how the church itself continues to multiply, develop, and grow through individuals who are chasing after God's heart and must remain held to the highest of standards, not using self-willpower. Now, how many times do we see that uh, today that people are trying to work in their own strength or have more self-willpower in order to be a better leader If, um, if people are trying to use their own strength and self willpower, then it becomes about the human heart and not about Jesus. So if there is a church leader out there that is listening to this, that is working in their own strength and power and looking to their own self willpower, I, I encourage you to repent over this because you have to allow the Holy Spirit to guide and direct and lead you as you lead others to Jesus. Now, one of the things um, with self-willpower is that it continues to to oppose what is found in an individual who meets the qualifications of 1 Timothy 3. Now, the evidence of this is found in the humility of the individual wh- whom desires the leadership or overseer position. If humility is present... Then it's a good indicator, and with discernment, it's a good indicator that the heart of that individual, if they're displaying humility, is ready to take on this noble task of church leadership or overseer because they understand that they have to work through and with the Holy Spirit being the leader and guider and director of them. Otherwise... It all comes back to the human heart, right? So self-willpower continues to oppose the qualifications and it discredits humility. So that's just something that I found really critical and crucial um, when we're talking about church leadership and overseers, that we need to have individuals who have and know what humility is in order to lead the church. Otherwise, it becomes... Um, just another campaign for the the human heart and the desires of the human flesh. So there's a thin line there um, that is really hard to um, yeah walk down the center of. It's one side or the other. Uh, there is no mixing both. So just keep that in mind that this passage really displays the humility. Of the human heart. Now, some of the the qualifications that um, that are mentioned that are mentioned. Sorry about that. Some of the the qualifications that are mentioned in First Timothy three. I'm gonna I'm gonna read you a little bit of this here. Um, I just had to look it up there. I apologize for the delay there, but I just had to type this in and look this up. So I. Could read this to you This will be in the NASB as well um, I'll just start So this is 1 Timothy 3 I'll just start in the first verse here And uh, we'll go through first We'll go Well let me just read it Because it's, it's not long at all So it says It is a trustworthy statement If any man aspires to the office of overseer It is a fine work he desires to do An overseer then Must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, skillful in teaching, not overindulging in wine, not a bully, but gentle, not contentious, free from the love of money. He must be one who manages his own household well, keeping his children under control with all dignity. But if a man does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of the church of God? There's some truth there, right? And not a new convert, so that he will not become conceited and fall into condemnation and cured by the devil. And he must have a good reputation with those outside the church, so that he will not fall into disgrace and the snare of the devil. Then in verse 8, deacons likewise must be men of dignity, not insincere, not prone to drink much wine. Not greedy for money, but holding to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. These men must also first be tested, then have them serve as deacons if they are beyond reproach. Women must likewise be dignified. Not malicious gossips, but temperate, faithful in all things. Deacons must be husbands of one wife, and good managers of their children and their own households. For those who have served well as deacons obtain for themselves a high standing and great confidence in the faith that is in Jesus Christ. I am writing these things to you, hoping to come to you before long, but in case I am delayed, I write so that you will know how one should act in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and support of the truth. Beyond question, great is the mystery of godliness." He who has revealed in the flesh was vindicated in the spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. So, these qualifications, through the individual that wants to be an overseer or a church leader, is basically a mere image of Jesus, right here on earth and his ministry. So that's something that we really need to consider and we really need to think about when we're talking about leadership. Now, why did Paul Why did Paul write this to Timothy? What was going on? Because during this writing, Paul was in Ephesus. There was some issues going on there that he was addressing. And Paul also wanted Timothy to know this is how the church should be acting because over here in Ephesus, the church is certainly not acting well. And, um, there was a lot of false teachings going on and false doctrines going on during this time. And Ephesus, if you imagine Ephesus during this time of the writing, it was a major port, a major hub for, uh, economic trade. Um, whether it was, you know, food, um, herbs and spices, um, material goods. Uh, it was just, it was a major port and knowing that, uh, the Ephesians, they, they wanted to, they wanted to have prosperity. Right. Uh, and one of the, um, one of the main things was, uh, pagan worship in Ephesus during this time. So What happened to the church knowing that pagan worship was a major issue and um, one of the the false gods that they were worshiping was Artemis or Ishtar and uh, there was a local uh, blacksmith, silversmith at that time that was actually making these little tiny sculptures of that false god and um, handing them out and selling them and just some ridiculous stuff, right? So what was happening? Um, There was some confusion within the church uh, at that time. So during the time that Paul was writing to Timothy, a treasured biblical principle was being challenged in the church of Ephesus. And this uh, biblical principle, which uh, as we know from 1 Timothy 3, that leadership within the church should be men um, as the head... Yes, women need to be involved as well, but there there's a biblical headship of how this all works. Um, so it's not discrediting men or women, but it's supporting both with the special functions and the needs of the church at large, right? It's not saying one's better than the other. It's following, uh, even back into Genesis, the order of creation. So it's a good thing that we have this, um, but during this time, that, what was being challenged was both men and women were teaching in the church with the critical issue of spreading false doctrines. And a lot of that comes from the pagan worship that was going on with uh, Artemis and Ishtar um, being a false god that all the Ephesians were calling upon and wanting prosperity rather than giving thanks to God for what they've already have and had. So what happens when an idol or something else starts coming into the heart and taking the place of God? What what really happens? Um, and Paul really shows his concern here uh, that for an overseer or a leader of the church, an individual must be pure in heart and have pure intentions and motives and, um, in teaching sound and biblical doctrine that honors and glorifies the Lord. Now, at times, if, um, and this isn't for everybody, but if you have too many people where they're saying, okay, no, we can have um, both parties, a man and a woman, both in the head position, well, that doesn't display the order of creation and how man uh and women were made in the image and likeness of God so first of all that it dishonors uh, the very first book of the Bible right and and creation so um it can lead to not having a pure heart or intentions or motives um being that some people want to prove that they can do better than others and it just is a, it's a mess right but when we what we see in First Timothy, uh, one five, but the goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart, from good conscience, and from a sincere faith. Um, making the role of an overseer not only a desired position to hold, but also a position held to the highest standards that remains attainable to the individual seeking the position, then. As a leader, the man should be seeking and desiring this, um, and the reason behind that too. Not only, not only does it honor creation, but it also shows the marriage between Christ and the Church, right? The husband and the bride. Um, the husband should always be leading the bride in in the truth of biblical doctrine, and it shouldn't be the other way around. If it is, then we have some concerns and then we need to uh, start asking some other questions. But it, this all follows the order of creation and the relationship between Christ and the church. So Christ is the husband, the church as the bride. So some other historical issues that were happening, um, false doctrines, um, were a major issue. Um, but here's what I want to say about false doctrines is that they can easily be taught in a clash of cultures when the emphasis or intent is to teach compromise in order for self gain in any culture, whether it is an ancient culture or a modern culture. Uh, historically, the display of a culture clash is displayed through the pagan God Artemis, which was to oversee the Ephesians and the pursuit of building a strong culture and economy being that Ephesus was a port for major trades and deliveries of goods, so just know during like the historical context of this passage, uh, the epicenter um, for pagan worship was Ephesus and the goddess Artemis, also known as Diana or Ishtar, and that this, this false god is probably the most um, knowing and uh, worshiped mother goddesses in the ancient world that actually lasted well over a 1,000 years. So now that you kind of know some of the background of what was going on in Ephesus, now you can kind of see why Paul wrote to Timothy and how the church should function and operate, being that... The Ephesians were just—they were going nuts. They were—they were wild. They were chasing everything but God, and they were—they were looking for fulfillment in, in everything rather than giving thanks to God for what they already have. So you can see why this is such an important letter uh, that Paul wrote and that he entrusted Timothy with, right? So the qualifications. Let's go back to the qualifications. Um, Of this passage And I think it's really important to first note That just right off in the very first verse uh, That's your evidence Of knowing that this follows The order of creation Because it begins with It is a trustworthy statement If any man aspires to the office of overseer It is a fine work he desires to do so Paul is clearly telling Timothy that the office of an overseer or church leader needs to be a man, um, nothing else, and that's following God creating man and then creating woman. So Adam first, then Eve to be the helper. Now, it's not Paul's not saying um, that women don't have a special role within the church uh, since women are highly valued in the order of creation and they do have a special place and function uh, within the church. But what we're looking at is not placing man over woman or woman over man. What we're looking at is that the qualifications are meeting the same order of creation that is found in Genesis one twenty seven which says, so God created man in his own image and the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. So we have to um, acknowledge the order of creation, um, even in the church leadership roles. Right. And what that does is it honors God and his order of how things are supposed to be and how things are supposed to operate and I get that it's this is a, a very sensitive subject uh, for a lot of people, but there's a lot of churches out there today that um, actually twist this around, and they're not looking at the historical context and what the intent that Paul has as the Holy Spirit's given him this to write down. There's a lot of churches that are going against this, and what happens is you're not seeing the blessings of the church. They're not having multiplication. They're not growing or developing. Um, in fact, uh, there's a lot of issues that are actually going on within those churches as they twist and kind of revamp, uh, what the scripture is saying. And we know we're not supposed to add or take away from the scripture. Cause that's, that's not a good thing. We're clearly warned about that in the book of revelation. And, uh, but Paul doesn't want us to discredit uh, the order of operation uh, that we see there in Genesis one twenty seven he's He's highlighting that and saying this is how it should happen, even for the church today and even in the modern church that we have. So here's a question for you. I mean even today within the church, um, how many how many idols do you see? Uh, taking over the heart of church leaders. And, um, you know, you can call it pagan worship because anything that would come before Christ that would look like it's being worshipped would be considered a pagan worship or idolatry, right? But how how much of this do you see? Or how much um, self-seeking and self-attention or gratification do you see rather than humility? You know, if we can't see humility in our church leaders or especially those that are preaching the word of god from the pulpit if we cannot see that those individuals are living a life of humility we need to be praying for them we need to be loving on them showing them grace help them get back to the truth of scripture so that way they can be honoring god and the church can continue to grow and multiply again, this is such a, this is such a heavy subject because not everybody wants to, um, address church leadership and, um, what it all involves to be a leader or an overseer because, you know, we, we all do as a leader, we all do our best to, um, to have a servant attitude and a servant heart, but, um, it's inevitable. We're, we're still humans, right? We, uh, we, we are still sinners, we're never without sin So sometimes pride and self-centeredness does end up coming in But we have to be willing to take the correction and discipline uh, In a gentle way from others And we have to be willing to take that and take it to the Lord And be repentant and be able to say, alright Lord, help me come back to you Help me be the leader that you've designed me to be And, um Help me to honor you, and how do you want me to lead your church? Because ultimately, Jesus, it is your church, not my church, not uh, so-and-so over here's church. It is your church. We're just here as vessels to help lead your people back to you and to live a life honorable to you and acceptable by you that we can continue in asking the lost soul to accept the invitation to the final banquet dinner, right? That's what it's all about. That's part of the great commission and that's found in the book of Luke, right? The final banquet dinner. I think it's in Luke 14. Um, but I really wanted to address this. And the, the issue that I have with this is that it's such a deep topic that, you know, one episode on a podcast isn't enough to, uh, to address this in the way it deserves to be addressed. So I may continue um, with some other episodes on this, but I wanted to give you something to think about and to, um, to study about how the church is supposed to operate and function because this is important to how we display Jesus to a lost world and to a secular world So we need to model this. There's a reason that Paul wrote this to Timothy and for the churches that are continuing to grow in this and to display this type of leadership. I tell you what, there's a lot of multiplication happening. There's a lot of discipleship happening. Um, Good stuff for the kingdom, right? Uh, But the churches that are not, there's some chaos. There's some headaches. There's... Just a lot of stuff that's not going on, you know, going on. There's not a lot of growth. It's They're stagnant. So the more we honor God and keep to his order and how we're supposed to be acting and operating as a church, the better it will be for the kingdom and we'll be reaching more people for the kingdom. And then when we preach the Bible, when we preach scripture, then we allow the Holy Spirit to take over and preach to the hearts of all those that are either in the congregation or listening online, that's when the Holy Spirit takes over and illuminates those scriptures that are being preached. He illuminates them in the heart, and then a real transformation takes place. And now you see people set free um, from whatever it is. It's that moment that the church is in complete surrender, honoring God the way it should operate and function, that the Holy Spirit takes the scriptures that are being preached, illuminates it in the heart of all those hearing, and freedom is found in Christ alone. Then people know the real Jesus, not what modern culture calls Jesus, but they will know the real Jesus through scripture and have that personal encounter that sets them free from everything so that they can continue following Jesus And then they can go on and make disciples of all nations. Well, thank you again for listening in on Mission 2819. I really appreciate all of you and being able to spend time with you. Uh, Really think about this passage of 1 Timothy 3. Uh, There's a lot to it. I gave you just a brief overview of church leadership, some historical context. Like I said before, this is such a deep topic that needs to be addressed, but it surely needs to be addressed because with things going on in the world the way they are, the church could fall really quick and get out of control really quick. So as believers in Jesus Christ, let's do everything we can to honor Jesus, to protect his word at all costs, and truly live for him. So I love you all unconditionally. May you all be blessed. Keep looking up and look to Jesus.